Hey friends, uh, thank you for checking this out. This is another ambushed episode. My name is John and I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something decent with that education. Usually in these episodes, I try to develop uh, an idea or look in a, a really absurd passage from the scriptures or I try to make some sort of connection that I found was interesting. And hopefully, in the midst of me sharing something that I found interesting, you find it interesting, and then we both uh, grow, I guess, whatever you want to say. And uh, this is going to be an episode about a strange passage from the Hebrew Scriptures. So buckle in, because this one's called, quote, Moses saw God's what? <laughs> End quote. And uh, this is a this is a fun one because, man, we often gloss over parts of the Hebrew scriptures, what's also known as the Old Testament, thinking that they are just not relevant, or perhaps we focus more on the New Testament. But they're they're full of good things, and they're just these wild stories that uh, really communicate something deep about the human experience. So. That's what this episode's going to be. Uh, but before we go on, I'm going to, in the, the notes for this, as you uh, look at the app or however you're looking at this, if you scroll down and read the, the description for this, I'm going to put two things. One, I've decided to start doing a weekly email through my MailChimp account. And I'm going to put up a link there so you can sign up for that. And two, I also happened to make a playlist on YouTube in the past week or so on how to lead a Bible study and then how to have faith conversations. And it was an hour long talk that I did, but I edited them all down into about a dozen, five or so minute clips with some interesting titles. And you can check that out if you want as well. And my goodness, if you feel so charitable, uh, I also started Patreon for this, so that this can be a thing where maybe I can have a side income. Not much. I'm going to keep putting these out for free, but if I get the chance to maybe buy some better equipment, then who knows what could happen. So let's see what happens, all right? This is Moses Saw God's What? So hopefully you'll listen to this and you'll chuckle and it will bring you some amount of joy because these wild ancient stories are supposed to make us smile and be confused and then also be inspired. All right, so let's go into it. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, why did I say that? Exodus 33. Exodus 33 is a brilliant chapter in the Hebrew scriptures. And in context, this is when Moses gets the chance to see God after he petitions him. But there's something profound that happens there. And what goes on is Moses hits a crescendo of frustration. Now, you might ask, well, why was he frustrated? Great question. In chapter 32, Moses, 
who is the figure of all of Judaism, right? Especially in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, Moses is a massive looming figure. However, he goes up on top of Mount Sinai and he comes down with, you guessed it, the Ten Commandments. And on his descent, when he's coming down with the law by which the Israelites are going to remember what it's like to be human, they're going to start having their own laws about what it means to be an Israelite so that they can leave behind their Egyptian tendencies because they had just finished being slaves under the Egyptians for hundreds of years. The Ten Commandments are in Moses' hands. And as he's coming down the mountain, he notices that in his absence, when he was up on the mountaintop talking to God, the Israelites took all their gold, melted it all together and made a golden calf and started worshiping and dancing around the golden calf. And it frustrated him so much that he threw down the Ten Commandments and shattered them to pieces. So now there are no more Ten Commandments. Oh, man. So you could say chapter 32 has got some big stuff in it. The Israelites couldn't handle being on their own for a couple hours before they started going back to their old tendencies. Oh, and so Moses smashed the law right there. So Moses, obviously being frustrated, he also was surprised that the power of God wasn't impressing the others. He And in chapter 33, where we're going to read from, he's got all of this in the background. This moment just happened. And so that's where we're going to pick this up. And Moses here has got a moment where he shows some extreme chutzpah, which is the Hebrew word, word for having some grit, having some guts, having some gumption towards telling God what to do. And apparently in the Hebrew scriptures, to argue with the divine is a completely normal thing to do. Yet in New Testament and sometimes in church circles or wherever, you're not supposed to question or to have uh, an intense disagreement or argument with the divine. You don't do that because God is sovereign and who are you to talk back? It's like, well, actually talking back to God is all over these Hebrew and Greek scriptures. So maybe we need to cut ourselves a little slack and maybe cut other people some slack too when they start to have some disagreements or arguments with God. Side note, all of what we're going to do in chapter 32, which I just referenced, and then chapter 33 has to do with mountains. And in some sense, it's because there's a phrase in Latin which is called uh, the axis mundi, which is axis, meaning like the centerpiece, mundi, meaning world. So a lot of times in almost every major religion around the world, the high spot, the elevated spot, the mountain or the cliff or something 
is often the place of the divine. And it's often seen as the center of the world, the axis mundi. And here we are in a passage where the axis mundi, where people experience God, is Mount Sinai, where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. So I don't know about you, but you very well could have your own personal life experience of visiting an axis mundi where you were on top of some elevated space and you felt as though you were getting a little closer to God. And uh, man, that's where chapter 33 happens. We're going back up to the axis mundi. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to share some thoughts that I had written down. Again, uh, I'm still a learner, even though I do have degrees in this field. It's just an endless topic. Uh, the Old and New Testament scriptures can bring out countless, unimaginable ideas that otherwise you may not resonate with. So here we go. This is going to be Exodus 33, and then we'll break it down. You good? Okay, so let me stretch just a moment, take a sip, hold on. Okay, starting in verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. He doesn't say our nation. He doesn't say my nation right there. This nation of yours, which kind of sounds similar to actually Luke 15. That's an interesting thought. Anyways, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So at this point, I don't know what inflection or tone or emotion you want to put behind this, but I get the sense Moses is getting not just frustrated, but maybe he's starting to teeter onto despair. Yeah, okay, great. You said that the presence of the divine is going to be with us. Great, but I mean, who, who are you going to send with us, huh? Who's going to know that you're so great when you saw what happened? Your people already started worshiping a golden calf, and I smashed those Ten Commandments. Then he even asks, what will set us apart? What will distinguish us from the rest of them? And this is, Mo this is the Lord's answer to Moses, and it's not even quite a direct answer. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. But he didn't, he didn't ask him to do anything. He's like, who, who will go with me? How will anyone know that you favor us? He's like, I will do the thing you've asked. He's like, I didn't ask anything yet. I just want to know. Anyways, 
Then Moses has a moment of extreme grit, chutzpah, gumption, guts, whatever you want to say. Because you could say right here, he's being defiant. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. That's a big deal to see the glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Remember the Axis Mundi, the mountaintop where you can have communion with the divine? When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. That's the end of the passage. Where's the pun? Well, when it says, then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, the word for back is not back. A lot of times when you read a passage from the Old Testament or New Testament, you might come across a passage that has been kind of cleaned up because the word back doesn't mean back. It means backside, as in potentially also God's butt. <laughs> so here we are reading this incredibly profound passage with the glory of the Lord and the Ten Commandments and God's butt. This is so insane. I can't believe this story has survived for thousands of years and been passed down, but it must be because on some level, this story is packed full of what it means to be human and in the midst of the human experience of the divine. So what the heck is going on here? Moses is frustrated. He pleads with God a bunch of times, and then he gets the gumption to tell him, I want to see something good. And then God says, sure, okay, I'll let you see something, but you won't see all of me. You'll only see my backside. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Okay. So here's the few things that I had written down, and then we'll wrap it up, all right? I, this doesn't have to be a super long episode, but if you're driving somewhere, maybe this is just long enough to help you get to the grocery store or to work or whatever. Let's go. Okay. Ideas that I've written down are, the divine can be overwhelming, but can be accommodating also. Because in this passage... The Lord says, no one can see my face and live. As if to see God straight on is just absolutely way too intense. In fact, there's other passages that make reference that if you see God, you will surely die. Well, here he is and he's about to see God's backside and live. So something really unique is happening here. The full presence of the divine would probably be 
absolutely terrifying and incredibly beautiful that we would potentially just go insane. It would be absolutely so much or too much to comprehend that our existence would just be shattered and our sanity would be in fractured pieces. So the divine absolutely can be overwhelming. I mean, if you think about it, even strong experiences of goodness or beauty or truth or love, all of those things can bring tears to our our eyes and, and legitimately cause us to shut up and sometimes shut down for an afternoon because it's so absolutely intense. And that's a good thing. That's fine. But here's the thing. God not only hears it when we say that we want to see God, but God also says, okay, great, but I'm going to let you see what you can. And so there's, here's the accommodation. God says, you can't handle my front, so I'll let you see my back. You can't see my face, so you'll see me from behind. So it's almost like God made a, a compromise. You can't handle this. But you can handle this thing, which isn't exactly what you said. So here is a a passage kind of of bartering, of going back and forth. And there might be something unique to that in the human experience, that as we have experiences of sanctity or holiness or the sublime, however you want to say it, I don't really care. You can use your favorite word in that instance, of the infinite of ultimate reality, of the thing of that which nothing greater can be conceived, which is Anselm of Canterbury's phrase for God. Well, God wants to be seen. And as a result of that, God's willing to make compromises to accommodate what we can handle. And I think we also need to notice, here's the next thing. That the whole Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all the way through, is, is full of this tension between these two statements. So in your left hand, you can say God hidden. On your right hand, there's God revealed. And these are two different poles, two different extremes that the Bible seems to bounce back and forth between. The whole Bible is in the tension between God hidden and God revealed. In Genesis 1, God seems to be revealed. And then they get kicked out of the garden and they seem to have a distancing of the relationship. God seems to be hidden. But here's a passage that's kind of like both. God is hidden and revealed because he accommodates and says, you can't handle all of me, but you can see part of me. Or then you start to go over into the New Testament and then you have these curious phrases where people call Jesus the Son of God or my Lord, which was not just a political statement, it was in fact also a theological one that says maybe this man is God revealed to us. And then there were also people like, well, maybe God's hidden in this person of Jesus And that's why it's so profound when later on, there's this Roman centurion, not even a Jewish person says, I I think this man might be the son of God. So 
Even from the Old to the New Testament, there's tons of tension. And anytime you're reading through a passage, feel free to take a look and ask, okay, is this passage about God hidden? Or is it about God revealed? Or is it some dynamic play in the middle? Because that's what's happening here in Exodus 33. So let's contextualize it. Okay. To today. Let's say you're walking along and you have a moment where you didn't even think about the divine. You didn't even think about whatever holy might mean. You weren't even aware in any conscious sense. And then all of a sudden something happens and then God goes from being God hidden to God revealed, maybe not even for a minute, but just for a glimpse. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, God is here too. And then God disappears, right? And so there's this, even in our daily life, if we are willing to have the awareness or the conscious ability to notice, we in our own lives today still oscillate and bounce back and forth between God hidden and God revealed. So why not, as your day goes on, just be mindful as often as you can of those two terms? I've been like, oh, is God hidden here? Where should I be looking? Should I be looking deeper? Or you might say God is revealed, at which point you just sit there or you stand there or you walk there in silence and you just appreciate the fact that for those few moments, you're having an experience where God is revealed. Or let's say tomorrow, you have a, a very confusing conversation or a confusing moment where a hard truth is said to you and it stung but also it liberated you at the same time you could say this moment was god hidden and revealed at the same time there's a tension in this moment it's not this or that either or but that we're somewhere in the midst because if god is really in all things and all things is really are really in god then we shouldn't be surprised when God has a moment where he shifts from being the God hidden to the God revealed, right? Because even though this passage happened in the Old Testament, it can still happen today if you start to have the chutzpah and the grit and the guts and the gumption to tell the divine, I want to see something good today. Make me see something good. I'm going to go to my Axis Mundi today. And I'm going to be there. And I'm going to wait until you pass by. And until you shift from being hidden to revealed. Whew. You see, there's something really fascinating to me. That the whole of the, the faith journey is contingent upon this. Having... Conscious, loving awareness of the divine everywhere, in everyone, in every circumstance, in every situation, in every location. The divine is saturating the physical or the material. And here we are, we often think it's either or, but actually... The God that's hidden is often revealed in the material world. 
because this is our body, right? I mean, this is our receiving channel by which we experience the divine through our five senses. And uh, of course, if this is our antenna, of course, God's going to speak to us through the ways that our antenna can receive, because that's how God accommodates to what we can handle, right? Now, two last things. One, the rabbis, uh, they had a brilliant way of interpreting this passage. They really did. And they, they always have this really playful way of interpreting the scriptures, especially some of these bewildering passages where Moses sees God's backside. And uh, one rabbi said, well, what if it isn't so much that he saw God's backside? Because if you were like chasing someone and then you saw them run around the corner, but you caught a glimpse of their back, it's like you kind of, yeah, okay. You, you saw them for like a flash of a moment. But that's what the rabbi was hinting towards, that maybe none of us can really see God, but we can only see where God immediately just was. And so then it makes your entire day, every single moment of life, as if it were like a, a constant game of uh, hide and seek. And that if you're ready and you're willing to play the game of hide and seek, then you can actually always be glancing around every single corner and you'll always be immediately seeing where God just was. Now that might seem like an endless game, but it's a game and it's meant to be a joyful thing. It's supposed to be a happy experience of like eager expectation, like, is God there? And then you look around, like, oh, I just missed them. There was something good that was just right here. And I caught a glimpse. I'm going to keep looking. Like a massive game of hide and seek all around the world. Now, it might be because the rabbi was trying to maintain the idea that if you see God, you will die, right? So he put a little distinction, a little asterisk at the corner of this passage and said, hey, this means uh, that we'll only ever see where God just was, which is fine. And there's a little playfulness to that, pat, to that interpretation that I appreciate. But the final thing, and this is what I've already mentioned. I really like the rabbis, but I also really like the mystics. And, and the mystics are the ones that are the rabbis and, and are the people that really get the, the whole of religious experience, I think, right. And uh, there was a Christian mystic named Mechtild of Magdeburg, right? I think she was a Rhine, Rhineland mystic, um, a Christian. And she said that the day of my spiritual awakening was the day I saw and knew I saw. So she was actively aware. God in all things and all things and all things in God. I'll say it again. The day of her spiritual awakening was when she saw and knew she saw God in all things and all things in God. This is the task to learn to see life in this way where remember like when you're a little kid and you're running around in the backyard or in a forest and there's like fairies everywhere and there's like the, the chance that you might meet a gnome or a unicorn in any moment. There's a magicalness to the world. And then you start to grow up a bit and you start to realize some of those are fairy tales, but then 
you start to have a more of a, a rational mindset, you know, and you think about seeds and trees as they grow and the plants and you think about how there's bears and deer, but no unicorns and the world becomes stale. But there's something that happens. There's a stage after that as if that's the highest form of maturity. But really the highest form of maturity is when uh, the magical comes back. When the forests start to have a magic again. Maybe not with like fairies or unicorns, but you know what? There's a, an enchantment that happens because you start to realize just because I think more rationally than I did when I was six doesn't mean that the world isn't still enchanted and that I might not catch glimpses of God every so often because you obviously could. And so this whole life maybe is a matter of learning to be like Moses. That when you get frustrated with another group of people, maybe the people you're trying to lead, maybe as you get frustrated with yourself and the old, your own golden calves that you keep running back to that you know are dead and lifeless that really do nothing for you, right? That as you start to then banter and bicker and maybe even have some gumption towards God, that you start to say, I need to see something magical. I need to see something enchanted. God, make yourself known. I want to see the divine. And then the divine says, sure, but on my terms. And then that's when you see God's backside. Again, because in the scriptures, as well as the scripture of our own lives, we are always bouncing back and forth between the Deus Absconditus, which is God hidden, and the Deus Revelatus, which is God revealed. So, let's finish with benediction. May you, the listener, go forth this day, and may you listen well to the words of the divine as God speaks to you, but may you also keep your eyes open so that you can have a conscious, loving awareness of those moments when God shifts from being God hidden to God revealed. And may you also have the eagerness to deal with attention when God is in the middle of being hidden and revealed in that curious place. And of course, may you learn to have the eyes and the patience as well as the appreciation to start to see God in all things and all things in God. That was great, right? This was <laughs> Moses saw God's what? Y'all are lovely. May grace and peace be with you. <laughs>